Welcome to Behind the Case, an ACG Case Records Journal podcast, brought to you by the American College of Gastroenterology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Roberto Simons Linares, Editor-in-Chief of the ACG Case Report Journal and a GI Fellow at the Cleveland Clinic. I would like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Samuel Han, who is the author of a trainee-focused editorial published in our journal. He's currently an advanced endoscopy fellow at the University of Colorado, and he's also a former associate editor and editor-in-chief at our journal. He wrote a really nice editorial that we're going to talk about today. Welcome, Sam, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Roberto, for inviting me to this podcast. It's a true pleasure to be here. So Sam's article is entitled Achieving Competence in Endoscopy, which is a really um, hot topic nowadays. So Sam, uh, could you please briefly summarize the topic of your editorial uh, for the audience? Absolutely. So the editorial I wrote focuses on achieving competence in endoscopy for GI fellows. I chose this topic because I believe it's one of the most important aspects of fellowship for many of the fellows across the country. More than likely, any of us went into GI because we really wanted to do endoscopy. And you're so excited to start fellowship, but then you realize that no matter how many endoscopies you've watched before, you don't really know how this goes, and there really is such a steep learning endoscopy. So as a first-year fellow, you're really wondering, am I ever going to be good at scoping, or am I ever going to be competent to practice independently? With that context in mind, I really want to use my experience as a fellow as the backdrop for giving some rough guidance to fellows as they start their journey in endoscopy. Great. Now, that was a great introduction. Yeah. And even I totally agree with you, even before starting fellowship, you know, people wonder, you know, how like what's the data behind? I think now I get more often questions about like, you know, you know, how do I know? Am I going to be good? And, and then that can, that data can be also be used, you know, for applicants to actually, you know, rank the programs and kind of decide where they want to go. Um, now, the first header of your editorial is entitled moving away from your procedure numbers. Could you please tell us, you know, what do you mean and why is this important? So I think for far too long in medical training, there's been this apprenticeship model of learning in terms of how to practice medicine, particularly in the procedural field, whether it be a surgical specialty or a field like GI. And for many years, training programs have used procedure numbers as benchmarks or kind of surrogates for competence. The GI core curriculum, which is a joint society curriculum, was last revised in 2007, and it kind of sets the minimum number of EGDs and colonoscopies that a GI fellowship completes, and it's kind of this checkbox that fellowships just ensure that you meet. The reality, though, is that performing a certain number of procedures by no means ensures that you are competent in something, mm-hmm. and studies have consistently shown that learning curves are really variable among trainees. And given that knowledge, it's just difficult to put a number that denotes competence for everyone. So while a minimum number of procedures is helpful in providing a general guideline for fellowships to provide, it really shouldn't be used as a surrogate for competency. So I really do believe the ACGME, or the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, which is the governing board for medical training programs in the U.S., they realized this and they wanted to shift away from this when they introduced the next accreditation system, or mm-hmm. NAS, mm-hmm. five years ago in 2014. Now, the goal of the next accreditation system 
was to advance a competency-based medical education, which really brought three major changes in medical education. And the first one was that programs now had to use and report milestones for assessment of training during their clinical competency committee meetings. And so I really want to focus on this change in terms of the milestones. So just to define milestones, they really describe concrete tasks and skills that correspond to a level of training ranging from novice to expert. And these are used to depict how a trainee is progressing. And so by instituting milestones, the ACGM is sought to provide a common language and descriptors for formative and summative evaluation of fellows in the fellowship program. Within this context, though, the ACGME gave each specialty freedom in determining what these milestones are. And so in GI, we use these milestones that are kind of loosely tied to entrustable professional activities. And these provide an assessment tool that are task-based and clinically oriented. These are supposed to represent the core activities of a profession. And so two of GI's EPAs are related to endoscopy, upper and lower endoscopy for screening diagnosis and intervention. Mm-hmm. and the endoscopic management of GI bleeding. So bottom line, we are now moving towards a system where we're not just going to be assessed on whether we're, we're able to perform procedures satisfactorily, and we're not allowed to just be given a passing score by meeting a specific number of procedures. And for this reason, I really want to focus on this because I think a lot of fellows really get obsessed with procedure numbers, particularly mm-hmm. in the beginning. Yeah. But the focus shouldn't be on numbers, but rather on actually developing confidence. Absolutely, I agree with you. No, that's that's that was a really good explanation of I totally agree there is a minimum procedure number that you need, but I think tracking your competency throughout fellowship is very, very helpful because, you know, it's a reality that not all fellows will have same skills and not all fellows need to work on the same areas uh, at the same time. Or, you know, even if you put it by year, there is there's differences. So I totally agree with the nice description you gave us now. I would like to mention to the audience that, you know, I always encourage you to go to our journal's website and read the full editorial. Now, moving forward, Sam, you know, you you describe nicely how to assess for endoscopy performance. So tell us about that a little bit more of, um, you know, what should we use for actually assessing this performance of the fellow while in training? Assessment is something that I really do think fellows need to focus on, particularly on in the beginning. You need to know how you're being evaluated and what you're being evaluated on. If anything, it allows for fellows to identify what they want or need to work on. Mm-hmm. Now, there really are a variety of assessment tools out there, and I don't think we can say that one is necessarily better than the other. The ASG, or the American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, uh, currently advocates for the use of the ACE tool, and ACE stands for Assessment of Competency in Endoscopy. And that's a tool I used during my first two years of fellowship because we were part of a randomized control trial that I was comparing two different types of feedback. And what I do like about the ACE tool is that it is relatively simple. There are six items for EGD and 12 items for colonoscopy. But they essentially allow for a quick evaluation that usually takes about a minute for the attending to fill out between procedures. And in terms of other tools, uh, Dr. Bob Bedlack out of Mayo came out with the Mayo Colonoscopy Skills Assessment Tool, or mm-hmm. the MCSAT, and that's used for colonoscopy. 
And then Dr. Catherine Walsh out of Toronto came out with the GIE CAT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the gastrointestinal endoscopy competency assessment tool for colonoscopy as well. There's multiple tools, yeah, like you're saying. And I don't exactly. know if we know which one is better than the other, but I think all of them are great as long as you're consistent. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think you need to be consistent and you need to let the attendings know from the beginning that you want to be evaluated and you want to have an objective assessment system that you're being evaluated with. And what I do like about these assessment tools is that they do also include a lot of cognitive aspects of endoscopy. Mm-hmm. And that gets lost with a lot of fellows because they're so concerned about developing the technical or hands-on skills. But the cognitive endpoints are really what you're going to need to perform endoscopy well. Yeah, exactly. And I also think it should be a very interactive interaction because like, you're attending necessarily doesn't necessarily know what do you want to work on today. If you really want to work on cecal intubation, if you want to work on TI intubation or just withdrawal, you know, in the colonoscopy, for example. So I think it's really important for the fellows to be very interactive. I will say many times we tend to use this is the form or can you give, give me feedback. But I think if you kind of talk to your attending before today or in the next two colonoscopies, I would like you to pay attention on this. I think that will be also very helpful. I think maybe some of the tools I've seen, I mean, there's multiple tools, as you mentioned. I think some of them kind of touch into that, but definitely important to kind of standardize the areas to evaluate. But I think the interaction is very important. What do you think are the most important ways to improve performance? I really do think that, as we were talking about earlier, taking ownership of your endoscopic training is really the most critical aspect. And as you had just mentioned, it really behooves the fellow to identify that they want to work on and let the attending know that they want feedback in that specific area. You know, I think we, we live in a culture now where people kind of shy away from negative feedback. And so a lot of fellows don't want to receive feedback, period, or a lot of attendings don't want to give negative feedback. But in all seriousness, it's not really helpful to get feedback that isn't constructive yeah. or worse yet get no feedback at all. And I really have a pet peeve about vague feedback, which is really not helpful. So having an attending tell you at the end of your colonoscopy, good job or nice work, it may make you feel good, but it doesn't actually help you improve. So as you were mentioning, I think a really practical way of kind of directing feedback would be at the beginning of the day, telling your attending, hey, I want to work on polypectomy. But specifically, I want to work on polyp positioning and snare positioning and also retrieving the polyp. And then if you give them basically that opening, the attendings are going to be more engaged, number one. But they're also going to be actually looking at you doing those polypectomies, and they're going to be very eager to give you feedback. I've never had an attending not give me feedback when I've asked for it. So I think it's really critical for the fellow to identify what they want feedback in and then make it very clear to the attendant that they want that kind of feedback. Absolutely agree with you. And you know, also what I've done uh, recently, talked to the attending, and I honestly also think the whole team should give you feedback. Like I tell the nurses, can you give me feedback on whatever you think is important? But also sometimes I direct them and say, can you look my, you know, my position? Or can you also tell me how am I communicating with you? So I think also the whole team, the attending and the nurses play a key role 
So I totally agree with you. Uh, it should be an interactive thing. Now, tell us about the quality indicator so far that, you know, I, you've described nicely in your editorial, but uh, what are those quality indicators for competency in endoscopy? The ACG and the ASGE actually produced joint society documents mm -hmm. back in 2015 that were published both in GIE and the American Journal of Gastroenterology. But they basically set benchmarks or quality indicators for how attending should be performing in upper endoscopy and colon. And so there, there's a lot of them, and I highly recommend all our readers to look at these documents. But I think there are a couple that deserve particular notice. Um, and so within colonoscopy, to pre-procedure, intra-procedure, and post-procedure quality indicators. So for intra-procedure quality indicators, the big ones are really in terms of sequencing rate, where they recommend a greater than 90% sequel intubation rate. And then also in terms of an adenoma detection rate, it depends on the uh, sex of the patient, but just one, a greater than 30% adenoma detection rate for males and a greater than 20% adenoma detection rate for females. And in terms of post-procedure quality indicators, I really think the big one is documenting and mm -hmm keeping track of your adverse events. And I think a lot of us, especially in fellowship, kind of just forget about the adverse events where we kind of want to ignore those adverse events. But I think it's, as you do more and more endoscopies, adverse events are going to happen. And I think it's really important to be able to tell your patient what is your rate of adverse events. So yeah. what is your rate of perforation? What is your rate of bleeding? And specifically for perforation, for example, the quality indicators recommend a less than one in a thousand rate. Mm -hmm. And for post-polythectomy bleeding, they recommend a less than 1% bleeding rate. And so these are really just benchmarks that you should keep yourself accountable to as an attending. Mm -hmm. And who knows, maybe in the future where we're moving towards a value-based healthcare system, yeah. you know, maybe we'll be assessed on those kinds of quality indicators. I agree. No, and I think the healthcare is kind of moving towards more value care than actually production RVUs and numbers, you know. So those are going to definitely, I think, become very, very important. Now, are we far away, Sam, from developing an, a standardized curriculum with, you know, clear, strict criteria to evaluate fellows' competence in endoscopy? And what do you think are the barriers right now to get there? That's a great question. We probably are still far away from creating a standardized curriculum, but I do think we are getting closer. I do like how the ACGME is developing these milestones, and I think they'll further break it down into like very specific endoscopic milestones. For example, competence in polypectomy, competence in management of upper and lower GI bleeding, for example, um, colorectal cancer screening. But the reality is there's so many different ways of learning and you know it's really difficult when you have so many different attendings at each program who are teaching all these fellows so a fellow is conceivably learning 50 attendings and so you're learning 50 different styles of ways to do yeah and everyone has their own teaching style as well so it's just so difficult to get a uniform education you know i tell the fellows at our program all the time i was really fortunate and that for two days, uh, Dr. Stephen Amendowix, who was the president of ASG last year, filled in for the luminal service. And so I did two days of inpatient, basically GI bleeding cases with him. That's great. And in those two days, I probably learned more than the previous six months of my first fellowship. <laughs> 
Wow. So it, it's just like teaching is so variable. Yeah, I agree. But I do think one thing we need to move toward is a nationwide standardized real-time assessment system. I think we need to be evaluated on the most majority of our procedures that we're doing using an assessment tool. We're given feedback about it. And then we actually need to be able to see our learning curves. So a fellow needs to be able to see how they're progressing in their learning curves for yeah. each specific task. Exactly. Then, you know, if you're able to see what you're deficient in or what you're not as good in, then you and your program director can make an individually tailored curriculum. Yeah, can work on it. Yeah, exactly. I agree. No, that was great and insightful comments, uh, Sam. Now, could you summarize the take-home points of from your editorial from this topic for our audience? So my first take-home point was that procedure numbers are important, but they shouldn't be the focus of your endoscopy training. You really just like don't need to obsessively worry about the number of procedures you're doing. Instead, really, the focus should be to improve with every single endoscopy you perform. My second take-home point is that one way you can take the initiative as a fellow is to ask your attendings and program directors to incorporate assessment tools or formalized feedback programs or even formalized teaching programs for all the attendings as well. Another take-home point for me is to really be uh, mindful of asking for specific and constructive feedback. Never settle for vague or absent feedback. Really, feedback has been shown and shown again in numerous medical education studies to really help accelerate learning. So it really is to your advantage to give feedback. And then my last take-home point is, as you progress in your training, particularly as a second and third year fellow, it's to become familiar with the quality indicators because in the end, the goal of your training is to provide high-quality care as an attendant. Exactly. No, those are really great take-home points. Thanks for summarizing that, Sam. Finally, I always like to ask a non-medical question to get to know our guests a little better. So, Sam, tell us something about you that most people don't know. Absolutely. So, you know, I grew up in Korea, actually, and I came to the state uh, in kind of late elementary school. Mm-hmm. I still go back to Korea every year. My wife's family is there. We, um, we have a daughter who is 20 months now. <laughs> nice. And I have another daughter due in a couple months. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That's Thank awesome. You. Our family is definitely growing. It's growing. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Sam. We should go for some good Korean food next time. Absolutely. Um, uh, with that, we finalize this episode. Thank you again, Sam, for joining us. And thank you to the audience for listening. Stay tuned. And until next episode.